0: Woodmark Communications, industry members, and eye care professionals are coming together to create a forum that connects the vision community in these unprecedented times. This program has been made possible in part with support from our premier sponsors Allergan, Johnson & Johnson Vision, Aerie, Novartis, and Santen. We'd like to thank all of our sponsors for their support of this programming.
1: This week, we're taking a step back and we're looking at kind of the big picture of how practice has changed for so many different eye care providers. On Monday, we spoke with three colleagues who went from practicing full-time to all of a sudden had an employment status change where they had to learn the difference between what's you know being furloughed versus being laid off. Today, we're on the other side of that and we're getting an insider's perspective from two optometrists who are still practicing, they're still employed, but under kind of new restrictions. So we're gonna see what urgent versus emergent cases look like. We're gonna hear how things are different for them now. Um, we'll discuss what, what constitutes you know, routine versus emergent cases, the role of telemedicine, and really just how their patients have been handling this change. Our two rock star guests today are Dr. Steve Ferrucci, who is the Chief of Optometry at a VA in North Hills, California, and Dr. John Jeliz, who is the director of the specialty contact lens division at the Cornea and Laser Eye Institute, um, which is a center for keratacodis based in New Jersey. Thank you both so much for being here today. I'm going to kick it off uh, with Frank so he can give a few reminders and, and lead him with our discussion.
2: Thanks for joining us, everybody. I just wanna remind all the viewers that we are taking viewer submitted questions so that we can answer them throughout the program. So there's a lot to talk about, but we'll try to get to all of your questions when possible. Now, first, let's start off. When did your way of practice change its current arrangement and did it take any getting used to? Let's start with you, John.
3: Well, so our practice, you know, we're, we're a tertiary center that focuses Uh, Mostly on uh, corneal, well, exclusively on corneal disease, but mostly on uh, keratoconus. And, uh, you know, our day was full with patients, full with research, uh, and for me, exclusively uh, specialty contact lens. Um, Basically around uh, March uh, 16th was the day that we shut the doors, uh, said, look, we are going entirely to digital care we followed the recommendations of both the academies. I'm an MD-OD location so you know obviously I have (laughs) my ophthalmology colleagues and and me being uh, optometry we both had the the, both academies saying you know we should be only seeing emergency and uh, urgent care and and we followed that recommendation so that's when we kind of switched over and, uh, you know, yeah, it definitely takes a little getting used to, you know, we will go from having a packed schedule to really only kind of fielding, you know, what is calling in and then also what we had to follow up on. Um, so that's uh, it's a pretty big change.
1: <laughs> Steve, what about for you? So you're at a VA. I'm sure you were crazy busy before. What is your kind of schedule look like now?
4: Yeah, so uh, I'm at a VA in California. I have uh, myself, we have some ophthalmologists as well, as well as um, we have uh, three optometry residents. So we're generally pretty busy. And right around the same time as John, right around the the 16th or 17th, we kind of evaluated what we're doing and we decided that we really needed to call our patients um, and explain what was going on and, and really only try to see emergent and urgent care patients. Um, so right around then, we would actually, we, we would actually call the patients, uh, explain to them what was going on, and if they didn't have anything urgent, no change of vision, no eye pain, we would you know, tell them not to come in. If they still had eye pain or sudden decreased vision, uh, something like that, we would tell them, why don't you come in anyway, because we were there, but we were limiting it to urgent and emergent care. So that started right around, like I said, right around the 18th or so, 17th, 18th. So we went around to seeing, you know, 50 patients a day to you know, anywhere from zero, quite frankly, to maybe five a day now.
1: Over, over the course of that. So, you know, it's been a couple weeks since you guys have kind of your new, um, new schedules, kind of new routines. Has it changed? You know, like what you were doing maybe two weeks ago or three weeks ago? even though you're still doing urgent and, you know, emergent and it's definitely changed within that, has, has that changed? Like, has it kind of dwindled off from even maybe a couple weeks on?
4: Yeah. Yeah. Let me, uh, I would say at first, you know, like we were kind of calling the patients and we would say, you know, Hey, we're, we're kind of recommending you don't come in right now. And for the first couple of weeks, patients were like, well, I don't get it. Or you know, I don't see what the big deal is, but I think as time went on, when we called patients, we explained to them, hey, it's it's not in your best interest to come in right now. Um, they, they started to be more, oh yeah, thanks for calling, I get it, thanks, I understand. So we went from at the beginning, patients were maybe a little reluctant to, you know, why why don't I need to come in? Why shouldn't I come in? To now they're like, Oh yeah, I get it, and thanks for calling. Yeah, yeah, I
3: I would agree with that, Steve. You know, our our approach to this. Uh, being that we're you know it, right next to New York City, um, you know our area, we took this pretty seriously right away, and we're we're definitely going. You know this is uh, for your protection as well. You know the 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 whole thing here is this is this is not about us seeing you. You know and us uh, you know wanting to see you for any other reason than you know you you have to stay healthy. We want to stay healthy. You know the best way to do this is to only do emergency care. Now, the one challenging part of this, and Steve, I'm sure you had the same thing, was uh, you know obviously we were doing surgeries. You know the week before, uh, prior to this, um, before it really started, you know, in so we still had some you know people in a critical post-op period of time that that we definitely needed to see during that time. So those individuals were all seen at that point. Um, After that, it's been relatively quiet. You know, the the one slightly challenging thing was, you know, I was in the middle of about 10 to 15 various specialty lens fittings. And, uh, you know, those aren't exactly emergent or urgent. um, But, you know, they had new lenses that we hadn't, you know, had our follow-up for. um, So we had to really lean on telemedicine to be able to do this. Now, obviously, we're not going to be able to make super accurate changes to this, but I am able to, you know, get peace of mind for the patient, but also a little bit of peace of mind for myself, you know, to say, yeah, no, they, they are doing well enough for me to put off their care for, you know, a couple weeks or, you know, a couple months, however long this, this goes for, um, and, and ensure that they are indeed, uh, you know, in a safe sort of position.
2: So, John, uh, that's a great example of a, what might not be an emergent case for you. But what what would you say does constitute an emergent or urgent case for you then? What is uh, it that you're seeing?
3: Yes. Yeah, so, so you know, we, we kind of prescribed, a, you know, RSVP, um, anything that's, you know, red, vision, you know, photosensitivity, uh, you know, anything that's, you know, pain, uh, anything like that, uh, we're doing... Uh, a triage appointment just to talk with them for a sec deciding whether or not that is you know okay well they they seem okay enough for us to do a telemedicine visit or we just go no this is really a problem we need to see them immediately in the office Um, in some of these cases we'll do the telemedicine appointment to kind of confirm what we're hearing and then go ahead and say yes this needs to come into the office immediately or hey, you know, that really sounds like something that I would feel comfortable giving you some medication and checking up with you tomorrow uh, via the telemedicine so I can get a good look at the eye. Um, But it really, you know, it it really comes down to that. And I I think one other thing that's really important to that, though, is that we are, uh, you know, obviously, we're we're the primary people for eye care, you know, we, we need to be the doctors that they're communicating with. For their eye problems, so I, I think the best way to handle this right now is that you know we triage or see them on telemedicine, but then direct care appropriately from there. You know this will keep you know a lot of these patients out of the ER, out of the emer- or the urgent care centers, and allow you know th- those individuals that are really you know taking charge during this pandemic uh, to focus the resources on people. Um, that really need their care uh, rather than the ocular emergencies that, that we could handle and you know if it sounds like retina get them to the retina specialist you know uh, rather than being like uh, you know waste your time coming with me I'll get you dilate like no I'm going to send you directly to retina you're going to talk with them they're either going to bring you in or not and we're going to direct that that level of care for you.
1: I think you make some really great points, John. I think out there in the online communities, there's even a little bit of controversy right now, of like what's urgent versus emergent, you know, there's, there's a lot of discussion. And of course, everybody's going to have kind of, you know, your own individual viewpoint. But I think that that's why episodes like this are so awesome is because you get to hear kind of the thought discussion um, behind some of those theories. So Steve, with you, when you guys were, you know, when you had to kind of switch to this new modality, how did you guys decide what's urgent versus emergent? How did you train staff or, you know, the other docs or students or residents that you work with on that topic?
4: Yeah, that's a good question. It's not easy. Um, I'm fortunate in that I have residents and, you know, unlike like training staff that maybe not be that clinically savvy. They're, they're pretty good, obviously. So we have them call the patients and and ask them, you know, have you had this, Have you had that, any change in vision, sudden change in vision and that sort of thing. So we've really been trying to limit to what we consider as an urgency emergency. You know, if they say, oh yeah, my vision suddenly went bad or I have flashes, floaters, we have a lot of those or, and then we had some high risk AMD patients that, you know, we didn't feel that we could put them off for a month because, you know, they were patients that we saw and we were following pretty closely for AMD. So there were some of those, but, you know, every now and then you do get one slipped in that, you know, claims they are having problems or had sudden decrease vision and this sort of thing and they come in and it's you know, merely a refractive error, quite frankly, you know, and you give them an extra, you know, click of sill or a little extra minus and they're back to 2020. So some of those do sneak in and it's, it's somewhat you know, hard to tease all those out because even though we have these questions we ask patients, they're not always the best historians. So I I think, you know, there's going to be some of those that come in if you can limit those that can
2: wait, like John said, but there will be some that sneak in that you just, you can't do anything about. Definitely the truth. Now, one of the things that uh, John was saying earlier, and this was this was something that I've actually had discussion with other doctors on, is that there's a real line here when it comes to some of the things that we really do need to see and what's a really good idea to have in the office. And one of those really big lines that I keep hearing, and I agree with 100%, is pain. If you're in pain, we really should have the patients in the office. Uh, and I think that's a really, really great point that John makes. But John, I actually do have a question for you. Uh, for for, at what point do we consider the pain to be uh, to be worth seeing? Is it like any degree of pain, or is it like, <laughs> hey, I have dry eye discomfort, and is it uh, something that I need to come in for? I and mean, I, I see a large number of dry eye patients myself uh, doing punctal plugs and things like that. But uh, at, at what point would you say? I mean, I know that you're kind of kind of triaging, but uh, but what do you what do you think, John?
3: Well, I'll, I'll tell you this: is basically. Our, our kind of feeling on this and and my feeling personally on this is I like to see the patient on telemedicine. The reason for that is, you know, if you're in grade one pain, you know, I can tell on your face when I'm communicating with you, those individuals that I get on the phone, you know, on telemedicine with, and we're having a live uh, video communication, if they're in the dark with their eyes shut and they won't open it, I know they're in real pain, you know, that it is, that is the difference between telemedicine and a phone call, you know, I can really appreciate what's going on with that patient, just like when you walk into a room, and you go, you know, this person's complaining of pain, when you walk into that room, the second you look at that person, you can tell what level of pain they're actually in, you know, Um, and and that is 100% a highlight, because you'll get some of these individuals will they say, oh, you know, I have some pain and that's our key word to say, oh, well, we need to move forward on this. But then once we go a little further to that telemedicine evaluation, we can say, okay, well, we can get a look at you. And if it's just, you know, ocular irritation caused by dryness or other things like that, you know, we got a good clinical picture there and adding on top of that videos and, you know, photos of the eye, we we got a pretty good idea of what's going on there.
1: So you're obviously incorporating a lot of telemedicine, telehealth into your practice. For either of you, was that an aspect that you did before kind of COVID? Were you kind of dabbling a little bit? Were you, you know, full on doing telemedicine? How? I mean, obviously, you know, you're doing doing it now, but what was it like before?
4: Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll start. We, we really didn't do we really didn't do anything, and we were probably a little bit slower to to get on than what it sounds like John is. I I think your point about pain is great and I haven't even really thought about using the the telemedicine with the patients with pain like you were saying. I think that's a fantastic idea. Um, But we're a little bit slower um, to to integrate it but we're starting to. One of the problems that that I'm sort of struggling with is I probably have more of a posterior segment uh, clientele if you will than what John has, right? So I have a lot of patients, flashes, floaters, patients with AMD saying oh my vision's changing a little bit. So a lot of that stuff isn't 100% relatable to telemedicine. I think anterior stuff like John's talking about is much more, you know, relatable. So that's kind of what we're wrestling with right now. How are we going to use it? Um, But I think John makes some great points about how to use it. Steve, that is dead on,
3: you know, and that is exactly the limitations of telemedicine is exactly what you said. You know, for me, this works great because it's all, Cornea and contact lens and anterior segment. That's that's basically it. Um, You know, for for the retina stuff, which which we do, basically none. Um, (laughs) I I don't know the last time that I saw a retina. Um, In the back of the eye. Exactly. I don't know what's going on back there. (laughs) Go see Steve. Um, But you know, in general, though, you know, we're kind of looking at this. This is, you know, know, that that is exactly correct. There, there are extreme limitations to what you can and can't do, and being able to know those limitations, convey those to the patient, be able to say, look, this is not something that we can handle over telemedicine. You absolutely need to be seen on that. Um, that's extremely important. And our, our background in telemedicine is uh, you know, a little more extensive. I, I did co-founded telemedicine company, and I do still consult with them um, but, you know, we, we had used it mostly in the aspect of peer-to-peer. Um, so we had a doctor that was off-site. One, one of the doctors, David Chu, um, is one of the world's foremost uh, you know, ocular immunology uh, specialists uh, in our practice. So occasionally I'll, I'll see a patient of his where, you know, they're on so many immunosuppressants and, you know, it's, it's such disaster train wreck cases. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll find something like a new, you know, anterior segment, or excuse me, anterior chamber reaction. And, uh, you know, I want him to see it so that he can help me with guiding what sort of treatment we're going to give this patient. Uh, because frankly, you know, his patients are, uh, are very, very fragile. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that it's a very important thing to work on.
4: Hey John, question for you. The, the other thing I'm somewhat wrestling with, like I said, we're a little behind you, but do you have a good way of uh, assessing visual acuity when you're seeing these patients? Or, you know, because it would be helpful sometimes if a patient says, that My vision's blurry, you know, to get some idea. Is it 2040? Is it 2100? You know, what what constitutes blurry? Have you found, I because I have not really found a, a great way to assess that accurately yet. I'm curious if you have. So <laughs> uh,
3: I, I, I don't want to. You know, totally talk about what I'm doing with the company, but yes, there we do. uh, There, there is a augmented reality based uh, uh, visual acuity test uh, that we developed um, that will put a patient at exactly ten feet um, and uh, allow them to take their visual acuity. Um, We're we're also working on a uh, Amsler grid that will allow for uh, overlapping of measurements so that you would be able to kind of track changes, uh, over time with it and, uh, develop some, you know, various different IP around that as well to, to be able to monitor that. But yeah, yeah, that, uh, <laughs> yeah, that the, those, those do exist and, um, you know, and it depends on where you look at, you know, like when you look at, um, you know, the Academy, uh, recommendations, uh, from the American Academy of Ophthalmology. They they suggest that a patient prints off a snowing chart and measures out ten feet and takes their visual acuity on that. So, you know, there are methods to do it. I, I would say that some of them I trust less than others, but um, <laughs> you know, there there are certainly ways to do it and at very least get a gauge of it. You know, yeah, Excuse I it. think that's
1: sorry, a good no point. point. Uh, you know, being a consumer of products, because I have no ties to the, you know, platform that you use, um, but that that is a, a big perk, because, you know, even giving patients um, directions of how to print this out, you know what I mean? It just is a lot more involved, and, you know, no system is perfect, but if anything, I think that the platform that you're on, I Care Live, has really kind of been the trailblazer, and will really kind of set the tone for maybe other platforms to kind of, um, you know, develop that and, you know, those sorts of things in order to be able to check visual acuity. Um, John, you obviously are are a huge leader for telehealth um, and you've had a lot of experience with it. And I know you've kind of developed protocol within your practice of how you can um, kind of coach patients to kind of take better photos and, um, you know, those sorts of things. And I know you have a really awesome slide deck to show us. So while we're Queuing that up, I also want to just give a big shout out to our sponsors. Um, so big thank you to Allergan, Johnson & Johnson Vision, Aerie, Novartis, Santin, Cala Pharmaceuticals, Avelina Labs, Diametrics, You know, those sponsors have made today's episode possible. So thank you to them.
3: Um, essentially, so this is a picture that we got uh, early on in the, the telemedicine uh, uh, kind of triage that we were doing for these emergent and urgent cares and uh, you know this this image this was a patient uh, five days after a uh, corneal abrasion that i had seen um, and uh, you know eye is white and quiet but i really can't tell anything else that's going on there you know the, the resolution is not great i can tell there's an eye it's white that's about it um, so what we did we developed a really extensive set of instructions because frankly, without the instructions, we just weren't getting what we need. We weren't able to get images that were good enough to actually do anything with, video that we couldn't do anything with. Um, So we've made these instructions that are very easy to follow. They go literally step-by-step through it, and they have examples in it as well. And this is something that we'd love to uh, disseminate through BMC and make sure that everybody uh, gets a copy of this but essentially it's helping to guide the patient to know what you need. And you'll get an example, this is, <laughs> this is actually Karen uh, from BMC. Um, you know, I had her uh, t- take an image of her eye without giving her any instructions, and you can see what that image looked like there. Um, and then I gave her the instructions and you can see the uh, quality of the image that we're able to get there. Um, now this is done without any attachments, out any you know, special software. This is literally using the uh, standard photo app. Um, So really what you're doing with this, there's three very important components to this, uh, which are using the back camera of the phone, um, because that has the ability to autofocus. It also has a good ability to white balance. It doesn't distort images. Um, You use the digital zoom uh, to put the digital zoom at about 2.5 and then hold the uh, the device about, uh, about four inches away from the eye uh, and take your own image. Um, so I'll go ahead, I'll, I'll show you another image here. Um, we'll go, yep, so this is actually a, a picture of my colleague, Dr. Greenstein. And uh, I, I don't know if you guys can appreciate this unless you have this on full screen, but you can actually see his, um, is a LASIK flap. So if you go ahead and press on this, you're going to see the outline of this appear. You can see the outline, and you'll be able to see that nasal hinged flap uh, is present there. So the the resolution on these cameras these days are incredible. You know, prior to 2017, we we really couldn't do this. Um, we'll go to another example here. Um, again, this was this was uh, you know. Again, another, another eye here, no instructions. With instructions, you can see the, uh, the improvement there. This is actually a video, of that same eye. Um, you can see as they look around, um, you, know, you can get exactly what you need out of this to get a full evaluation of the eye. Now the video is choppy, but that's because of the stream, not because of the actual video that we received. This was an individual uh, that I had seen to evaluate a scleral lens. Um, and as we click through these images, you're going to see the, the various different gazes uh, that we were able to get. And we can keep going through these. Um, and uh, in the next one, you're going to see that, you know, with his cooperation, he's able to hold the lower lid down. You can see the light vessel impingement in the inferior quadrant there. And you can see a tiny bit of uh, vessel impingement on that uh, superior temporal quadrant. And with that, I was able to take a look at this and go, look, we can, uh, you know, we, we can actually modify that haptic from a distance, but there are some huge limitations there, right? One, these evaluations are really just a diffuse white light monocular uh, you know, evaluation. We're not getting any depth. There's no way that you're able to visualize like an anterior chamber reaction, unless it's really bad. Um, there, there's all sorts of limitations that come with this, but it does give you a very good idea of what, uh, what's going on there.
2: These look really, really good. And we actually have a uh, Facebook commentary from uh, a Lee Plowman. These instructions look awesome and the patients are doing uh, images at home. That's really good. And uh, a question then from Alison Bozang. John, uh, are you using your photo instructions for still photographs only, or do you have this for live videos as well?
3: So, yes, so the instructions that that we give the patient are part of when we're scheduling the patient for these examinations. So essentially, just like how we would, you know, normally tell a patient, hey, you know, remember to bring in your contact lenses or whatever, uh, you know, for for a various, uh, you know, appointment in the office, we send these uh, instructions to them about how to capture the images. So these are um, uh, instructions that are made for asynchronous um, visits. So the patient is submitting photos and images to me for evaluation before I see them in the live communication. In the live communication, uh, again, I make sure that they're using their smartphone because of the smartphone has a much higher megapixel than what the vast majority of like built-in laptop uh, cameras have, and I have them again, um, you know, use the the backside of their phone, and uh, you know, point that at the eye so that they can see it. You know, part of the way that this works, and I'll just demonstrate it really quickly, is you know, you're using a mirror in that instructions. So essentially, once you've set up your phone to be able to to do this. And hopefully my background doesn't cover the phone here, but essentially what you're going to do is focus this uh, just like that. So I'm looking at my screen uh, in front of me to be able to ensure that my eye is in the center of this image there. And then what I'm doing is looking at that uh, that reflection uh, in the display to make sure that I'm lined up the way that I want to be.
1: I think those tips are very, very helpful um, to those of you that are live with us via, you know, via Facebook or Zoom. If you have any other questions, now's the time to definitely chime in so that we can um, get those answered. And I'm sure John will probably have more questions, you know, on, on, on those photos and videos, because the difference between, you know, with instructions and without instructions is, is definitely remarkable. Steve, you know, you're, you're on the front lines, you know, with your practice, um, you know, and, and you're seeing patients and you're, you know, even if they're emergency cases, have you, have like, you feared your safety at all? Um, I'm sure you're, you know, wearing proper PPE, but like, has your thought process been on, um, you know, regarding that for, you know, for being somebody who's still employed?
4: Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm happy. Unlike many of my friends in private practice. Unfortunately, like you discussed in one of your other episodes are furloughed, or unemployed. I'm happy to still be getting paid. So, um, that's number one, but number two, you know, we, we try to, we wear masks, we wear gloves, you know, we don't have the full gown. Uh, it's just not something that we don't have really enough of this for the whole hospital. So we kind of decided that we didn't need the full gown. But We have the mask, the gloves and that all sort of thing. And we take precautions. Um, Every patient is stopped at the front of the hospital to begin with and, you know, ask questions. Have you been in contact with anyone that's been diagnosed? Do you have a cough? And that sort of thing. We ask them again when they come to the clinic. So we have precautions in place um, and, you know, frequent hand washing and all that. So, uh, you know, in my... Am I concerned that I could become infected? I guess I'm slightly concerned, but with the safeguards we have in place, I'm not overly concerned.
1: John, what's it been like for you? Has, um, has your mindset changed? You're kind of in the hub of where it's um, happening at its worst.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is choppy water up here, I would say. Um, you know, I mean, the the, the guys here, though, you, you really, your hearts really have to go out to the guys in the ICU. I mean, they are, you know, doing a tremendous job. And, you know, for us, it, it's just an effort to try and alleviate what we can off of them. Um, but for for me, uh, you know, I'll, I'll share my experience with this whole thing is I, I actually had gotten sick uh, unconfirmed as COVID, but all the same symptoms um in in early March um so you know when all this stuff was changing over I was home you know (laughs) I was homesick, going well I don't feel well and I'm not going to you know with whatever's going on I'm not going to go back in and have the potential of you know if it is you know infecting anybody there um for me you know is it a fear that you could get it I mean, yes, it's in the back of your head, you know, that, you know, well, what if you were one of the people who, you know, happened to have this extremely uh, bad case that ended up in an ICU on a ventilator, you know, but I don't think that that's going to stop you from providing absolutely necessary care to a patient, especially with proper protective equipment, you know, Um, when you you know, my my dad had kind of an interesting thing. He was a, uh, a prosthodontist, uh, chief of uh, of dentistry for the VA uh, in La Jolla. And uh, he was telling me about when he was in dental school, you know, uh, back in the, the early 80s, you know, eight, eight, like 1980, or uh, possibly even late 70s. But he was saying that they weren't wearing any sort of personal protective uh, gear. It just wasn't what people wore back then, so there were no gloves, no masks. Um, when you looked at the rate of uh, hepatitis infections uh, in you know, certain locations of uh, practice, these guys, one in four individuals was contracting hepatitis from, because you know, you're creating you know, aerosols from, uh, from the drilling. Um, and you know, once they changed over to the, uh, the uh, protective equipment, um, you know, gloves, masks, you know, shields—the whole thing—you know—that that, dra- that that really isn't a concern <laughs> anymore. You know, um, so I mean, it's still a concern, but obviously, that has been extremely effective in mitigating that risk. Um, I think the future of what we're going to see in eye care, though, is going to include, uh, you know, personal protective equipment. You know, we're going to be in a situation where. You know, I think the new norm will be that we wear masks, that we have, everybody has, you know, those uh, uh, plastic breath protectors. Everybody, you know, follows those protocols. And certainly, you know, our protocol right now is very similar to what Steve was saying. You know, we're we're confirming that patients don't have any symptoms. You know, we're using a non-contact, you know, thermometer to measure uh, uh, temperatures before they come in. You know we we take as many precautions as we possibly can we ensure that there's only one person in the office at a time you know the rooms get totally sterilized in between you know uh, patients it is And uh, I think for a while this is gonna be the new norm
2: um, speaking of the new norm you know we have a lot of things that are changing we say it every single show this is an unprecedented time so I uh, for the VA, and I know that uh, you don't speak for the VA directly, but um, I know that we have to kind of like get an idea of what's what's likely to change, you know? I mean, like protocols have got to change. What do you see is changing as, res- as a result of COVID-19, uh, Steve? Uh, yeah, I don't know, you know, overall what will change. I
4: think John brought up some good points. I do think that, you know, we're going to, in the past, I never wore gloves to see patients. I never really did any of that. And I think this is things we're going to have to think of, you know, everybody moving forward. Um, I think trying to move to, to some remote care when you don't have to see the patients in certain cases, I think is, is gonna be important as well. Um, we've moved already to a lot of um, uh, reusable medical equi- uh, uh, disposable medical equipment like tonometer tips. We don't use reusable tonometer tips. We use throwaway tonometer tips. So we've already done some of this you know, already. Um, and I think some of that may, may continue. So perhaps more disposable versus reusable equipment and uh, like John said, I think we're going to start thinking more about masks and gloves and protective eyewear and all these things that Really up until this point as an optometrist. I, I kind of thought we were immune from that sort of stuff, but it uh, but we're not quite frankly. So I think we're gonna have to think uh, about a lot of different ways we practice, not just at the VA but in, in everyone's practice really
1: I think those are really good points, and I think you know the question of telemedicine and telehealth—is that going to continue? You know, after COVID, I think it's probably here to stay. And you know, around telemedicine, there's still a lot of discussion about you know the HIPAA compliant things that are involved in that. And right now, you know, during COVID, obviously some of those. Um, Restrictions are a little bit more lenient than they likely will be after COVID. Um, Allison, who had a question earlier, had a follow-up question kind of around that topic. She wants to know from either of you what your thoughts are on the images or videos that are being sent, you know, regarding HIPAA. Maybe you know if you're not using a platform, or how can consumer eye doctors be, con- you know, concerned about that kind of post-COVID? Steve,
3: you want to?
1: You probably have more experience in that than I to be
4: honest, it's not something that I, I've really given much thought to quite yet.
3: Yeah okay so, so, so for us, you know um, HIPAA compliance it, it matters. you know this is this is a real a real thing. Certainly right now the appropriate move is to take away those restrictions though, you know at, at this time, you know our efforts in optometry should be whatever we can do. To keep these patients from walking into an emergency room or an urgent care setting, uh, you know, not not only for their own protection, but to alleviate, uh, you know, the the resources that they would consume by being there. You know, th- this needs to be entirely focused on the people who really need it. So these uh, HIPAA, you know, uh, sort of restrictions uh, being gone right now is extremely important. I think once we get out on the other end of this, though. The HIPAA restrictions are going to come back. Um, but, you know, we don't know that for sure. A lot of norms are changing. So, you know, I, I would say right now, if you're, you know, if you're looking towards the future in doing this, the smart move is to use a already HIPAA compliant system so that when things change, you're not stuck with, you know, trying to find a solution. And that, that also brings up kind of an interesting point, which is, you know, what, what is, like, like what you were saying, Jesslyn the, the changes that are happening now, the use of telemedicine, you know, a, a lot of people may not have been on board with telemedicine prior to this. Um, it has forced a lot of individuals to get involved in it. Um, but I don't think that you're going to see it go away after this, you know, I, I think what you're going to find is that the norms will have changed at that point. And, um, you know, patients are, are going to be expecting this, this sort of, ch- of care. And my concern is that if doctors don't, you know, eye doctors, whether you're an ophthalmologist or optometrist, are not embracing this technology. I can tell you that there are going to be corporations that will, and they will use it in a fashion that maybe we don't all agree with. Um, and I I hope that you know practitioners see that and go, well, we re- we really need to embrace this. And you know, you don't need to make this your entire practice. Obviously, there are clearly limitations of what telemedicine can do. Um, but having it be a part of what you do is probably important for the future and uh, using it as an adjunct to the care that you're delivering uh, in, the, uh, in the office.
4: I agree 100% with John. I mean, we have to find ways to, to embrace this and incorporate it and not be left behind. And if you don't at least you know, try to incorporate it and, and consider it, then you're going to be left behind. And then, then I
2: think that's, that's not good. Yeah, For sure. Now, it's not even just about being left behind, in my opinion. I actually think that we need to actively drive this conversation and drive the expectations because, as John did say, if we don't, somebody else will with their own motivations. And I think that's an important thing to think about as well. For us in particular, however, you know this conversation and the expectations of our patients that can be driven by us, and I think that's a really important factor. Stephen, do you have any parting words for us? Do you have any anything that you'd like to say or cover or talk about before we close out tonight? Uh, no, I don't think so. Just that you know
4: in every bad situation, hopefully some good can come from it, and you know learning different ways to practice and better ways to take care of our patient moving forward, you know hopefully we all learn
2: from this experience and we can we can use some of that in the future. Thanks so much guys for joining us. That's it for today's episode. Thank you to all of our viewers who are viewing all the questions and of course our two wonderful guests today. Thank you guys. Thanks.
1: Yes. Thank and thank you to our sponsors for making this episode of the Mod Pod possible. On Monday, we're going to be back with some updates from Capitol Hill. So keep an eye out for the announcements on when the timing will be for the live um, and follow along on Modern Optometry's Facebook page or their Instagram page. And until then, stay healthy, stay home. We'll see you soon.
0: Bryn Mawr Communications, industry members, and eye care professionals are coming together to create a forum that connects the vision community in these unprecedented times. This program has been made possible in part with support from our premier sponsors, Allergan, Johnson Johnson Vision, Aerie, Novartis, and Santen. We'd like to thank all of our sponsors for their support of this programming. This webcast podcast is intended solely for ophthalmic health care professionals, and ophthalmic industry representatives. By accessing this webcast podcast, I acknowledge that Bryn Mawr Communications, LLC, herein BMC, along with any all third-party corporate supporters of this webcast podcast, makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information presented in this webcast podcast. BMC, along with any all third-party corporate supporters of this webcast podcast, do not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any of the opinions or information presented or mentioned. BMC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to reliance on in this webcast podcast.